0: crossings podcast community this teaching is called when god is late and is the fifth teaching in the series that we're calling risky lent it was taught by rafael rodriguez on march 26th 2023 thanks for listening morning crossings oh goodness front row (laughs) It's uh, it's an honor to be able to ad- to address you, uh, address you. Boy, that sounded that was. Let's start that over again. Uh, I bet you're wondering why I called this meeting. No, uh, you are you are welcome, and it is it is good to see uh, to see all of you. Uh, for the for the last few weeks during the uh, during the weeks between Ash Wednesday and in uh, in February or early March and Easter in April, the season known as Lent, we've been following the lectionary, a series of uh, four readings each week uh, that we focus, that we're focusing on, and we're focusing on these readings in conjunction with churches all over North America, the United States and Canada, and across the globe who are reading these same texts. So part of what we're doing here is um, reflecting on the Word of God, but also part of what we're doing is being the body of Christ with brothers and sisters uh, across the world. Now, our theme for this Lent is, as Molly mentioned earlier, um, risky Lent. I did not realize I was the risk that we were taking. I thought the risk that we were taking, at least today, and what I want to think about as we're talking about risky Lent is, and this is the title of my uh, teaching, is When God is Late and I wanna think about the risk of following an unhurried God. But before I do that, I wanna introduce you to a new word, and I'm probably going to say it wrong. This word has 19 letters. It is brumatactilophobia. Brumatactylophobia. Say it after, no. (laughs) mild is defined on the internet, so this is definitely true, a mild form of OCD in which a person doesn't like their food to touch. Uh, I heard. So we've got some room of phobics, uh here in the room, right? So when the food comes, you want you know your peas over here and your potatoes over here and and all that. I don't want. I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't use these terms technically. Some of y'all are crazy. Now, I'm not a brumatectilophobic, but I am an isolationist. Now, that sounds worse than it is. An isolationist is somebody who eats one type of food at a time. Now, for me, the pattern is I start with what I don't want to eat, and I eat that first to get it done with, and then I move on to the next thing that I was least looking forward to, and I worked my way up to the thing I was most looking forward to, so the picture on the screen is, and this is apparently unappealing to some of you, but this is my love language here. That is a corned beef hash and eggs breakfast. And I could tell you that that would start, I would start, I'd put some um, Tabasco sauce over the eggs, which would be over medium so that the yolks are runny and I would cut them up and mix them up with the hash browns, because I'm not a rheumatoctilophobic. And then I would eat my eggs and hash browns, and then I would save the corned beef hash for last, because that is the food of the gods. Or another meal here. You know, good roast. In fact, I think we just had a nice roast at my in-law's house over uh, spring break. And so this is kind of a typical American plate, and I can tell you that if that was set before me, I would first eat the carrots, and once the carrots were gone, I would eat the potatoes, and once the potatoes were gone, I would eat the roast beef. That's how I eat my food, because that's how Jesus ate his food. (laughs) Do we have any other isolationists in the room? Bless you, bless you. Many are called, few are chosen. Now, our lectionary meal this week is John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45, Psalm 130, Romans 8, and Ezekiel 37. And I've gone ahead and I've identified which texts are which, and maybe it surprises you, but with the Brussels sprouts there, I've put John chapter 11, because that's the text of the four when Caleb and Molly sent these to me. That's the one I was like, ooh, the raising of Lazarus? I don't know that I like that one necessarily, and that might sound a bit strange, but um, um, we'll get into that. And then moving around, this is a little bit arbitrary, but the, the, the grilled bread, which looks yummy, is Psalm 130. I guess we've already eaten that. And then the uh, mac and cheese, there would be Romans 8, which this is the, the blessing that is the southern, Amer- uh, the southern states of the United States is that macaroni and cheese is a vegetable, God bless Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, And then Ezekiel is the part that I would be uh, most excited about. So, let's dig in. First, our vegetables. So, Lazarus 11, verses 1 to 45, is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's 45 verses, and I'm not going to read the whole text to you. After all, these are vegetables, but you'll notice how the text, well, here, here it is. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, who have come to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, though Jesus loved them, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, part of the text that I've removed from the slide in the dot 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 in the ellipsis point in verse 3. The text describes Jesus as somebody, sorry, the text describes Lazarus as somebody that Jesus loves. And his sisters come and tell him, hey, the one you love is sick. Clearly in an appeal, could you come heal our brother? And Jesus kind of deflects the request. You know, this isn't a sickness that leads to death. And so clearly we see as John sets up this story that Jesus is not in a hurry. As a result, Lazarus dies, which kind of brings into question Jesus' words this is not a sickness that leads to death. And so, since he's not in a hurry, when Jesus arrives, we read in verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. I mean, Jesus doesn't just miss Lazarus. Oh, I was hoping to say goodbye before he passed away. He's four days late. In fact, as, I'm, as I teach texts to students, I often try to bring some sense of experience to the words that we're hearing. Imagine, imagine that this is day four. Today, Sunday, March 26th, is day four of Lazarus' death. That would mean he died on Thursday, at best, maybe Wednesday. Imagine Jesus' friend, Lazarus, whom he loved, died on Wednesday or Thursday, and Jesus took till today to show up. Martha and Mary, well, they're fairly unimpressed with this. And they both say in verse 21 and in verse 32, they say the same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. And you have to, you have to fill in the gaps of those, uh, of those words. Lord, if you had been here and you weren't. Sorry. <laughs> My brother would not have died. But he did. But he did. And I want you to notice, again, I'm not, we're not giving a, I'm not giving a lot of details from this text, but I want you to notice the awkward situation that this puts Lazarus' sisters with respect to Jesus. I mean, there's a whole lot of dialogue here. It's the strange, um, you know, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will never die. And, and one of the sisters says, you know, I, I know that my, my brother's going to raise in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I know that that's where I'm supposed to to focus this morning but I can't get there I can't get there because I'm distracted by the sisters awkward position vis-a-vis Jesus I'm distracted by the fact that the sisters are expected to be in this place where they love Jesus where they believe in Jesus where they think this guy is the font of life what what did we read about 2 weeks ago out of him would flow rivers of living water Jesus is the source of life. And we asked you to come see our brother. And you fiddled about. And you didn't hurry. I wanted one thing from you, Jesus. And you couldn't come. It's an awkward situation. They believe in Jesus, they love Jesus. But he didn't rush to their aid. I know that this is supposed to be a story of triumph, a story of victory, a story of the power of Jesus over death. But I just see two sisters who've lost their brother, and that's heartbreak. Well, I guess, better late than never, Jesus finally arrives. And now we get, oh, here's an extended bit from the story. Then Jesus came to the tomb. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Oh, if you don't hear a critique there, listen again. Because you waited four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, father, father. I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Like I said, better late, I guess, than never, Jesus has finally arrived. And notice the drama of this story. I mean, John has set this up kind of cleverly. There's a heavy stone that has to be rolled away. And there's a heavy stench that is a threat to what we're experiencing. And there's a heavy-handed prayer I thank you, Father, that you always hear me, but I'm not really talking to you. I'm talking to all these other people, making sure that they hear me. I mean, this sounds like just about every prayer circle I've ever been to where it's like, oh, dear Lord, please be with, uh, at random, Tiffany, because I don't know if y'all have heard, but Tiffany is, in fact, pregnant. And it's like, who are we talking to here? Are we just gossiping? This heavy-handed prayer. But then do you notice an impossible command, Lazarus, come forth. How many of you guys have heard of Carmen Dominic Licciardello? Yeah, some of you, some of you, some of you, yeah. Carmen, I didn't realize this until looking this up uh, in preparation for today's teaching. Carmen was born in 1956 which makes him a year older than my mother, which means Carmen could have been my dad. And if God was good, he would have been my dad. (laughs) Even more tragically, I didn't realize that Carmen died in 2021. And so I feel a little bad about this. But Carmen, if you don't know, well, you're about to find out. um, Carmen, when I was a younger man, in fact, I wasn't a man. I was a teenager. The the United States, and its wisdom, had not yet given me the right to vote in who would be our next president. Uh, when I was a teenager, I loved Carmen. I mean, addicted to Jesus, yes please, and uh, the champion, if you know, you know, right? Right? Um, and I have to tell you that one of my favorite, one of my favorite Carmen songs was Lazarus Come Forth. Now... As I was preparing for this teaching, I went and found that. And I knew there's just no way that 45-year-old Raphael still has the same theological and musical tastes that 16-year-old Raphael had. And thank God for that. (laughs) But I went back and I and I and I watched this. And one thing I want to confess to you guys is when I was a teenager, my dad. Uh, my dad took me down to the local um, audio-video uh, store, which sounds really old-fashioned to say, and and I bought like a multi-hundreds of dollars stereo system. Like, this was my first experience with credit. I was 13 or 14. And, you know, 6-disc CD changer, AM, FM tuner, amplifier, two-tower speakers. I mean, I know all of you Gen Zers who are like iPods and earbuds, no. Speakers were meant to be things that you had like monster cable to hook up. You guys, some of you remember monster cable, right? Yeah. And so this stereo system could, I mean, just blow out the house. And so in my bedroom was this really nice stereo system, and I was blasting Carmen. And as I was doing my research, as I was was prepping for, (laughs) as I was prepping for this teaching, and I re-listened to this song, uh, Lazarus Come Forth. I felt a deep sense of repentance for what I'd put my parents through, because I used to blast this, and I used to sing it at the top of my lungs, but I doubt they heard me because the music was so loud, and we I'm gonna, can I show you some, some of this before, before it plays, so Lazarus come for, forth, it's a dramatic song, you're going to see that in just a little bit, Lazarus dies, spoiler alert. Um and then Carmen sets up this vision, this scenario that's not in John 11 where while he's dead Lazarus goes to heaven or as Carmen says the uh, the holy place where the saints of God did stay. And and he shows up just in time for testimony night. And so Moses is giving his testimony, Abraham is giving his testimony. Um the best part is when Samson gives his testimony because Carmen, if you can't tell, is an Italian American, and he goes into this really affected kind of Sylvester Stallone. He's he like, you know, he's Samson. He's like, hey, I I knew him when uh, some Philistine tried to jump me, and it's like it sounds like <laughs> Sylvester Stallone after a boxing match. You know, Adrian, <laughs> and then Lazarus gets so moved by the testimony by the by the witness of these saints of God that Lazarus speaks up and, and Moses goes, "Hey, who's the new kid? It's really cheesy. Um, and then Lazarus starts talking about the things that he, that he witnessed from Jesus and he says he says, "I knew him in a way that you all never did. And then, and then he, yeah, he, he's going into it and he goes, in fact, I remember the little things like the way he called your name. And then that goes to this. You see, man, I remember the littlest things—the things most folks would forget, like the simple, loving way he just called my name. Up at the gravestone, rolled away with a loud voice, Jesus started to say. Uh, you see, fellas, it, it just seemed like yesterday. I could hear that man's name. common meal Uh, I loved that I mean I was all Lazarus you know and I mean why do we always why does Jesus have to sound manly to us right why is always Lazarus you know how do we know that Jesus doesn't sound like the biggest baddest scariest person from 20th century America which is Mike Tyson how do we know that Jesus doesn't sound like hey Lazarus Lazarus come forth How do we know? It's so cringy. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved the power of the story. I loved that authority of Jesus' voice. I even loved Carmen's affected voices. In fact, I even think I'm calling me now. Uh, But I'm not 16-year-old Raphael anymore, and I have to tell you that now, today, I'm 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 troubled. And in fact, I'm even more troubled by John 11 than I am by Carmen. May his memory be for a blessing. Notice Jesus' words in in verse 4 to Martha and to Mary. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through him. Look at those words again. This illness does not lead to death. Guys, if we really believe that this happened in history, two young girls watched their brother died and thought, I thought he said said, this doesn't lead to death. That troubles me. Or again, in verses 11 to 16, Jesus, now speaking to the disciples, says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awake him. And the disciples, who are just normally pretty obtuse and and without understanding, say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to be all right. And Jesus again, somewhat heavy-handedly, says plainly to them, "Lazarus is dead." His pastoral bedside manner could use some help here. Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I have to say, all of this, all of this bothers me, and I've, I've wrestled with the extent to which I would bring my own story uh, in, into this. But let, if you will allow me, just to say. A little over ten and a half years ago, my sister died of cancer. And that's not why this bothers me, but that adds an edge to this bothering me. Two girls lost their brother, and for four days, from Thursday until today, they were wondering, where is my brother? Jesus, if you had not been here, he would not be dead. Imagine that your sibling died Thursday. didn't have to. And that's the heartbreak of it all. So now a better story. Ezekiel is a prophet of the exile. That's a great way to start into something better. He is a refugee. He has been forcibly removed from his home and taken to another land. And he's shown a vision of a valley. Let me read the text to you. "'The hand of the Lord came upon me,' this is Ezekiel, "'and he brought me up by the Spirit of the Lord "'and set me down in the middle of a valley, "'and it was full of bones. "'He led me all around them, "'and there were very many lying in the valley, "'and they were very dry. "'He said to me, "'Mortal, can these bones live?' And "'I said, "'Lord, you know. "'Then he said to me, "'Prophesy to these bones "'and say to them, "'O dry bones,' Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Guys, listen to these words. And you shall know that I am the Lord. In fact, listen to him again. And you shall know that I am the Lord. This is verse 6. In fact, say them with me. Ready? And you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel sees this vision of a valley, and death is lying heavy across the valley. And for a priest, and Ezekiel is not just a prophet, he is also a priest. For a priest, bones and corpses are the climax of impurity. Impurity, unholiness, what removes us from the presence of God is not sin and immorality, it is death. God is a God of life, and death cannot be in his presence. And so here is Ezekiel seeing a valley strewn with death, littered with death, riddled with death. And the Lord tells him, prophesy to these bones. Here is Ezekiel having been been grasped, seized, taken from his home, and forcibly led into a foreign land, not by his own choosing. He is a a refugee in a land of refugees, and he's seeing visions of home, and it's not good. And he is surrounded, surrounded, I say, by tragedy. But, but, he is called to prophesy. He is called to speak life into the valley of death. Can you think of anything more foolish? A valley riddled with death, mortal prophesy life and so he does here's the text so I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied suddenly there was a a noise a rattling guys Disney's Coco really helps me with this I I see rattling bones and, and all that so if you know what I'm talking about Coco not nearly as cringy as Carmen not yet but And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together. Ooh, that's creepy. Bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. What an odd scene. This is not quite life, but it's not really death either. The bodies are coming together, but they are just bodies. So, I'm really not sure why this slide is in here. I did put it in here. It's just a blank slide. Let's move on. <laughs> Notice this macabre scene. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath. Uh, what, what you need to know is in Hebrew as in Greek, breath, wind, wind. Spirit, these are all the same words. Ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in, uh, in Greek, spire in Latin, right? Like inspiration, perspiration, no, not perspiration, respiration, there we go, aspiration, all of these things. Prophesy to the breath and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Notice this. Now no longer a valley of bones, now no longer a valley of bodies, now a valley of men, a valley of women, a valley of life, because God has brought these bones together, he has reconstituted them, and he has spoken his spirit. He has breathed his spirit into these bodies. This reminds me of the creation story in Genesis 2-7, where the Lord God forms a man out of dirt. Well, here's what Genesis 2-7 says. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. What we're seeing here in Ezekiel is a, is a recreation of Of the living man the man who had been unfaithful the 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 humanity who had been disobedient the humanity who had chosen death but God is a God of life and he recreates life the word of God brought life from death finally God speaks to Ezekiel and explains that the vision is a parable of Israel in exile. He says, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, to Ezekiel prophesy, Say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. I know there's no verse numbers, but I want you to see the phrase in verse 13 there where he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Do you hear it? And you shall know that I am the Lord. Can you say it with me? And you shall know that I am the Lord. Israel is in exile because they had forgotten that Yahweh is the Lord. They had been unfaithful. They had pursued other gods. And whether you, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, whether we think it's fair or not, God had punished Israel for her sinfulness. She had chosen death over life, and God gave it to her. David Peterson says this, Israel's ensuing experiences with God justified radical punishment, obliteration without regard for a remnant, such finality made it difficult to imagine a viable future. That's the consequences of Israel's sins. But then God speaks to Israel and says, It may be difficult to imagine a viable future, but I am the God of life, not of death. And so what is dead might live again. Again, all of this reminds me of the story from creation, where we find two commandments. The first commandment, not the greatest commandment, this isn't love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, 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 I'm thinking of the first two commandments, but not the greatest two commandments. The first two commandments in scripture, the first one happens in Genesis 1, 28. Immediately after creating the man and the woman, God tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Listen, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is more than just have lots of babies. This is Fill what I have made with life, because I am a God of life. Do you hear it? Life. This is the first commandment of God. Here's the second commandment. Comes uh, in chapter 2, verse 17 of the book of Genesis. The second commandment is this. Of the tree of, knowledge of, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So the first commandment was spread life. The second commandment is avoid death. And what did, what did we do? Forget Adam and Eve. What did we do? We chose death over life. God pleads with us. God implores us. Seek life. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can tell you I surely can. I'm much more enamored of death. Let me turn to Paul. Romans 8, verses 6 to 11 I don't mean to brag, but this is my translation. The mind of the flesh is death, Paul says, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Therefore, the mind of the flesh leads to bitterness towards God, for it does not submit to the Torah of God. Indeed, it is not able to. Those who walk in the flesh cannot please God. And I'm a little bit surprised by Paul's words here, particularly when Paul's words here are set up against other texts from the lectionary, because both John chapter 11 and Ezekiel 37 have set me up to expect not flesh versus spirit, but flesh and spirit. And Paul seems to be very much, no, it's one or the other. If you're of the flesh, you cannot please God, but we walk according to the spirit. But I want to point out to you, and we could talk about that more if we had more time, uh, we don't, but if we keep going, we'll see. That's not a great reading of Paul. Continue reading with me, if you would. But you, Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells among you. If Christ is among you, though, body, though the body is dead because of, the, uh, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's what I want you to notice. If the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells among you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will bring life even to your perishable bodies through his indwelling spirit among you. Notice how even for Paul, it's not flesh versus the spirit, it's flesh and spirit, and Jesus' aim, Jesus' intention, Jesus' sphere of activity is to restore you, to restore me, our whole being, body and soul. Now, that's fine for Ezekiel and Israel, someone might say. We've established that Israel had been unfaithful to her covenant. And so, while it might be harsh, maybe we could say Israel got what she deserved. But what about Martha? What about Mary? What about Lazarus? Surely, surely they didn't do anything to merit this death in their midst did they? I admit I'm uncomfortable by this. But if I don't think of Mary and Martha, if I think just of myself, I have recently been angered by the death of a colleague's spouse due to cancer. I'm angry. I'm obviously not angry at her. I'm angry at God. But I'm also angry at myself, because it's not my fault that she got cancer, and it's certainly not my fault that she died. I have contributed to the to the entropy, to the death, to the, to the failure of life in this world. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I have participated and, uh, in that. And so I am angry at myself. And so maybe my time isn't all that matters because maybe I'm not the one who makes this place of death a place of life. Maybe maybe what frustrates me, maybe what makes me so uncomfortable with John 11 is that I am not the Lord of Time, sorry, WHO fans? I am oh, Time Lord, sorry, I got that completely wrong. Maybe I'm not the Master of Time, maybe I am subject to God's time. And so the question I want to leave you with is can we find peace in this time of waiting? Can we find peace? In this time of brokenness, can we find peace in this cross bearing faith that leads to death before it leads to life? Every week, we respond to not just Jesus' call, but his invitation to take up our crosses, to follow him to journey through life, to journey through death, to receive life on the other side. And we do that through these symbols of Jesus' broken body in the bread that we physically rip into pieces. And we do it through the symbol of this juice, this wine that represents his blood that we physically pour into our bodies in hopes that Jesus' dead body might infiltrate me And then as Christ, sorry, as God raises Christ to new life, that that Christ in me might raise me also to new life. I'm under no illusions that we're all in the same place on this walk of faith. But I want to say wherever you are, whoever you are, you are invited to this Christ's table. And he offers you first his death, but then his life so when you're ready, if you would come, we have bread and wine. If you prefer gluten-free crackers or, or juice, just let us know. When you're ready, all are invited. All may come.